Thank you. Hey! How you doing, everyone? I just was singing Depeche Mode, and I realized uh, Miller Thomas had hit record. We don't have the rights to do Depeche Mode. No, mm -hmm. but we do have the right to talk about Major League Baseball. This is yet another crossover with Locked On Diamondbacks and Locked On MLB. Buckle up, buttercups. You are Locked On MLB. Daily MLB Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Locked On MLB, Locked On Diamondbacks crossover. This is once a week we get together. Miller Thomas and I get together to talk about the world of baseball exclusively through the lens of the Arizona Diamondbacks fan and through the lens of all 29 other franchises. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. If you don't believe me, check out my lower third. It says Sully. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been podcasting for over a decade for, about baseball and now for five years here as a member of the Lockdown Podcast Network. And once a week, this Bajakaloop over here is my co-host. Bajakaloop, why don't you please tell people who you are? Yeah, Miller Thomas, host of Locked On Dimebacks. We had to push it back a little bit, our normally scheduled times because of conflict mm -hmm. of interest between our schedules. But we're here now. You can follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for the personal account, of course, or just look up Locked On Dimebacks, Twitter, Instagram for the show handle. And of course, please hit subscribe on the Locked On Dimebacks YouTube channel. I had a complaint, by the way, Miller Thomas, that someone was saying that that uh, when you were on, it was obviously it was a Dodger fan, that you were on, that you were biased against the Dodgers. And um, and I said, well, he's the host of Locked Up yeah. Diamondbacks. What do you expect him to be doing? Be To be jumping up and down saying, I bleed Dodger blue? Uh, yeah. I, I got I to make something clear here. Um, I, I am the host of Locked Up MLB. I'm a native New Englander. I have made no bones about the fact that I've grown up a huge Red Sox fan. And I am not going to pretend that I don't have rooting interests. Miller Thomas is the host of freaking Locked On Diamondbacks, not Locked On I Love the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. All right? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I wanted the team that wins the division every year to lose in the first round of the playoffs. I apologize for that. But also keep in mind something here, and this is something I'm always trying to stress with my show, and I think you come across as well. While we may have our personal rooting interests, uh, I don't think that's going to affect any discussion of reality. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to come on and say the Dodgers stink. You're not going to say the that, you know, I'm not going to come on and say that the Red Sox are on pace to win 112 games and sweep the World Series. We're going to deal in reality. You know, just because you're not just because you have biases doesn't mean you cannot discuss things in terms of uh, in terms of reality and in terms of having a point of view of it. I will praise the Yankees and I will trash the Red Sox when need be. And if you don't believe me, you're going to love today's episode. Um, but we're going to be talking a little bit about, um, well, the disaster that continues for the Red Sox this offseason. The Marlins and the Dodgers made a couple of interesting moves that I think uh, have some long-term ramifications. And uh, we talked, I talked with Ryan Finkelstein yesterday's episode about the Mets implication with the being in and out of the Carlos Correa uh, 
uh, signing. But Miller and I are going to be talking about it in general, what this mm-hmm. means and his signing with Minnesota and uh, with the what it means for the division and what it means for the Mets, Phillies, and Braves, the three main teams in the um, National League East. So how you doing, Miller? What's up with you? You know, I'm doing good, Sully. Just soaking in this offseason day by day. We've been waiting for this Carlos Correa fiasco saga to end. We thought, I I thought at least maybe he was going to stay with the Mets because Stephen Cohen, I felt like he's a guy. Yeah, there's some risks and some injury with Carlos Correa, but I thought they would have just restructured that contract, make it more incentive-based because because a guy like Stephen Cohen is not going to let a player of Carlos Correa's caliber just walk out the building and can add him to the lineup and still be, I'm guessing, elite for the next few years i don't think his knees just gonna i don't i haven't seen the physical but i'm assuming his knees not gonna just give up and give out on him over the next couple seasons well i actually happen to have his uh his physical right here i have it oh take a look and i why they didn't ask me uh it turns out he's sick um what's the the issue with him what's the prognosis uh you know he's 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 hurt but um Yeah, I've I've made the point, you and I talked about this, that one thing we learned from the signings of Bryce Harper and the signings of uh, Manny Machado is when you have a chance to sign a potential Hall of Fame talent still in their prime, you do it. And the great thing, if you're a Met fan, you know, Steve Cohen's doing what you want every owner to do, which is. I'm sitting on, to paraphrase Jackie Cation, a Scrooge McDuck pile of money, and I'm going to have fun signing players and doing all the things that you want to. I've had generations of Met fans complaining that the Mets don't go all in on this and don't go all in on that. Well, now they went all in, and they're doing what every fan base would want to see their owners do. And I'm sure he thought, I mean, it may have been a little bit of overkill whether or not to bring in Correa, but... It was like, okay, fine, now we're doing it. We're bringing him in. Um, he's going back to Minnesota, which I – I, it's funny. I had predicted he was going to go to Baltimore. I thought Baltimore was a okay. great landing spot for him, especially for a team that had a surprise winning season after all those years of irrelevance. They were completely irrelevant every year since Juan Encarnacion hit that home run off of Ubaldo Jimenez while um, – uh, what's his doodle? Um Mm. Uh, Zach Britton was mm. reading uh, Bazooka Joe bubblegum cards in the uh, uh, in the bullpen not being used. Well, the Orioles have finally become relevant again, and I thought this was the offseason, especially with their bargain basement payroll, to say, hey, we had a winning season last year, but there's a little bit of anger from the fan base because they traded away Lopez and they traded away Mancini at the trade deadline instead of adding. So why don't we sign a big-time free agent to tell our fans, no, 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 winning time has begun here. And I thought because they also have a giant hole at shortstop, I thought Correa would be perfect. And every time he kept going back into free agency, first with San Francisco First of all, he began free agency, then the, he, the Giants deal fell through, the Mets deal fell, fell through. I kept thinking, Orioles, come out and play, as I make yet another completely dated reference. And um, alas, he went back to the Twins, and I, I, I found that to be surprising, but he apparently fit in very well with Minnesota, so I guess it, it, it worked out well for all parties. 
Yeah, a lot of charades just for Carlos Correa to end up back on the same team, which was the Minnesota Twins. And I, I don't really know what that does for the Twins going forward. Like, I don't look at them as like a more dangerous team, at least in the short term. But I think long term, this helps the, the, the Twins a lot because it just adds a level of credibility when you have a, a player of Carlos Correa's caliber now in your lineup every day locked in for six years i think it's going to be a little bit easier now for the twins to maybe attract free agents maybe they get a little bit more aggressive on the trade market because now you're like i got this building block i got this foundational piece for the near future he's in his prime we know the physicals are great on carlos correa so now it's like if you're the twins you kind of have to go all in over the next what three to four years to really build a contender with the correas and i don't know the byron bucks of the world because this minnesota twins team like we don't know the physicals of Korea. We've seen Byron Buxton the last few years on and off the field with injuries. Like this Twins team in the lineup has talent, but also has a lot of combustible pieces when you look at it from a health standpoint of the Buxtons and Koreas. And I still look at that rotation of the Twins. I'm not in love with it. I like Joe Ryan from last year, but when you have a rotation led by Dylan Bundy's and the Chris Archers of the world, I'm just not going to take you that serious. So I think the, the window has opened up a little bit for the Twins to get aggressive now that they have Carlos Correa in the building, but they have to be careful because a lot of their main stars in that lineup are very injury prone, which can cause some risks down the line. Um, here's here's some of the things to be positive if you're a Minnesota Twin fan. Um, first and foremost, remember this team, yes, they had a disastrous final couple of months, but they were in first place by themselves for a gigantic chunk of the last year. Going into August, they had they were in first place by themselves for most of the year. And they wound up tying Cleveland with about the day before Labor Day. They were tied for first place. They were tied for first place in September. And so what happened was the Guardians beat the tar out of them every time they played each other, and they had a bad final three weeks. If they had a good three weeks, they would have won the division. All right? Also, this is the, the best thing that is going in their favor is the fact that they play in the American League Central. Yes, yeah. Cleveland had a very good team last year, a very young team, and that could and, and that played a little bit over their heads um, with a bargain basement payroll. Uh, I think Cleveland looks like a very good team, but remember going into last year, everybody and their cow were picking the White Sox, you know. And so if you go yeah. in every year, oh, everyone their cow is going to pick Cleveland this year. The the White Sox looked like they were poised to win the division for the next two or three years in a row. Now it helped the fact that the late Tony La Russa was managing the team and not doing a very good job of it. They finished the season at, at, at a break even 500. But as I said, this was a team, this twins team was a month away from winning a division. And so, and they were very good in the truncated 2020 season. They were good in the night. They, they've been having playoff teams recently I do think there's talent on this team, and it's a very winnable division. 89 wins could probably win the division. Yeah, that's you, have really- a play, you have a player like Correa at the heart of this, I do think that they're they're going to do well. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest selling points that brings Correa back is the fact that this division is so wide open. There's no Houston Astros in this division. There's no Yankees. This is not the NLS. This is not the NL East. Like, you pretty much look at every division in baseball. They got two or three teams where you're like, okay, I, I, if they win the World Series at the end of the year, I'm not going to be surprised. But the AL Central might be the only division in baseball where if any of those teams win the World Series this next coming season, I probably will be a little bit shocked. And on this podcast, we we'll always talk about big market versus small market, right? 
the Minnesota Twins just proved once again, if you are willing to pay the bag to someone, you can get a franchise start in the building. There's no such thing as small market teams. Baseball players just care about money. Look at Carlos Correa's saga. He went to the Giants because they were going to give him the most money over the long haul. He didn't pass that physical. He went to the Mets. They were the next team offering him the bag. He didn't pass that physical. So now he's back in Minnesota because Minnesota was like, you know what? We can't give you 10 to 12 years, Carlos Correa. We can't incur that kind of risk, but we will overpay you for just six years, the best years of your prime. And guess what? If Carlos Correa's knee is still holding up six years from now, he can get paid again. This is what I want baseball players to do. Sign these short-term deals where you get overpaid like the Max Scherzer of the world. Just sign a four-year deal where you get $35 million a year. And then you could do that three or four more – well, maybe not four more times. But you could do that maybe two or three more times uh, if you're entering your you know free agency late in your 20s. So I want baseball players to take a, a model from the NBA. Do what LeBron's doing. Do these short-term deals where you get a fat contract for the short-term. Then you could keep re-upping over and over again and make more money in your career over the long haul. I know baseball players love that long-term security, but once again, you're playing baseball. It's one of the safest sports you could play out there. Well, and also, I I think the notion that, that Minneapolis is a small market is ridiculous. Hmm. I mean, just in terms of the size of the city, it's gigantic. The amount of corporate money and everything like that in Minnesota is huge. Um, I think it's, it's crazy. And I think that this is a, this is a real treat for their fans that they say, all right, this was a team that there were, you know, a generation ago, there was talking about contraction and now they've got this great stadium. They can sign big time players. They can have an eye and possibly getting back to the world series since 1991 first time. And what a treat, that, just a delicious treat that would be for all Minnesota fans. But if you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and the calories, then you got to have a Built Bar. Just we made it through the holidays, and everyone's goal is to be a little bit healthier. If you're like me, you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise taste, then, man, I've got the best thing for you. got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious, you won't think that they're good for you. Perfect for your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right. You heard me right. Don't bother adjusting your earbuds. Real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. And now you don't have to wait around to get a box. Remember, Miller, we would get our boxes of Built Bars so great? Oh, well, yeah. for years... We've been talking about ordering Built Bars at Built.com. You can still do that if you want. I'm not going to stop you. But now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your local Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy. Bang on it. Say, hey, Built Bars now. And they'll point you to where they are. Say, thank you very much. You grab a box of them. Pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. If you're close to a Sam's Club, grab a 13-bar box and... Great flavors, brownie batter, churro. You can thank me later. Or go to built.com. I'm like, who am I to tell you how to live your life? All I need to tell you is it's time for you to get some built bars. And so let's sing that jingle again. Built bars, they're still good. All right, we're here uh with Miller Thomas, and we just sang the praises of Minnesota being aggressive and bringing back a terrific talent. Mm-hmm. And let's uh, show that I can be unbiased and trash the Boston Red Sox. Ooh. <clears throat> you know, I mean, 
I have a hard time completely trashing an ownership that has delivered four World Series titles, one being a little woo-woo-y in 2018. Okay, three controversy-free titles and one controversy-filled title, fine. Um, that's not what we were thinking about before 2004. Okay, I got that out of the way. For those of you thinking that I'm ungrateful. Um, I, you can't bungle these last bunch of months more the only positive thing was the signing of Raphael Devers and I absolutely believe that was done because they realized that people were about to burn Fenway Park to the ground and this coming off of losing Xander Bogarts homegrown World Series hero Xander Bogarts to San Diego who suddenly can outspend the Red Sox and they had the backup plan. Well, they signed Trevor Story last year, just in case. So at least they know they got Trevor Story to fill in. Oh, wait. Trevor Story is going to have shoulder surgery that could put his 2023 season in jeopardy. So um, they may not have Bogarts or <laughs> Story. And uh, they may have one of the weakest outfields I can imagine. And oh, yeah. They called me yesterday, seeing if I could do some spot starts. Uh, could this be a 90-loss team we're looking at? Well, they did address some bullpen concerns, Sully. Don't forget, they signed Canley Jensen this offseason, so they have oh, addressed God. the bullpen a little bit. Boy, oh boy, if you're waiting to have someone blow big games and be hated in Boston, that, write that in ink. Write that in ink, that Kenley Jansen is going to blow some huge games and become... Uh, you know, just Calvin Schiraldi 2.0. I'm just, I'm not for that. I, I saw enough games in LA of him blowing this game or that game or this game or that game. If he held on to the lead in game two of the 2017 World Series, the garbage can thing wouldn't even be an issue. I digress. Yeah. Yeah, that, that one's going to be interesting when he's out there on the mound. It's going to feel a little Craig Kimberlish in 2018 World Series when he's out there on the mound. But for the Red Sox, I mean, it's really incredible what they've been able to do since their 2018 World Series with the ability for to just lose trust from their fans. Because if you think about what they did from 04 to 2018, like you said, four World Series after doing nothing pre that. You had that whole Babe Ruth curse. You finally break the curse in 04. And then over from 04 to 2018, it's the most magical run not just Red Sox in Boston history because you had the Patriots and the Celtics were winning a couple titles at that time. And so Boston sports were popping all at the same time. And the Red Sox were at the top of the list with the New England Patriots. And since 2018, you trade away Mookie Betts that we've discussed. You like Xander Bogart's walk. And then you try to tell us that the Trevor stories of the world was going to be plan B in case Bogart's walk. And now it's like, what has happened to this team? Now, I do like the fact that they signed Rafael Devers to that max extension because I do feel like it bides them, it bides the ownership group a little bit of time. And I think it calms the nerves of the fans down a little bit because if you let, because listen, we both thought Devers was gone. We thought he was going to yeah. either walk in free agency or we thought they were going to trade him this season, right? We thought there was no chance Devers was coming back. So now with Devers coming back, it's like, okay. Maybe Boston does have a plan. Maybe we should be a little bit patient, but every other move they make is still so head-scratching. And it's like, how did Trevor Story wait this long in the offseason to get this surgery? I know they said he kind of got 
got hurt as he was ramping up um, to get ready for the season. But wasn't he dealing with like elbow and injury issues like last season? Like why wasn't this addressed early in the offseason? And now you're going to go through the whole of 2023 with maybe no up the middle infielders. And then you look at the Dodgers who just traded for Miguel Rojas. Like your options are falling off the table. You might have to come to the D-backs to trade for Nick Ahmed. Like if you're a Boston Red Sox fan, you're going to watch Nick Ahmed play shortstop for you after watching Xander Bogarts over the last decade. Um, I'm sorry, Red Sox fans. They're not the same level of player. So I, I still don't understand the exact direction of this Boston franchise. Signing Devers helps a lot, to be honest. Signing Devers and having him locked up always makes you believe, okay, now we have this foundational piece and we can either flip him for more stuff down the line or we can use him as the main piece to build this whole thing back around because he is an MVP level talent. But this GM, this ownership group, it doesn't seem like they're into winning and spending money anymore. I just don't know what direction they're going to go into. Like they spend money on Devers. Maybe it was only because he's like 26 years old and it's easier to rationalize giving him that long-term deal. But you also gave a seven-year deal to Trevor Story who was clearly in the decline and failing starting to fail health wise as well so their decision making just so questionable and just hard to trust this red sox franchise which was so rock solid from 04 to 2018 despite always changing their gm like every three seasons it felt like i think one of the things that you, if you take a look at that great run between 2004 and 2018 there were some valleys certainly 2012 was the worst mm-hmm. year bobby v the Bobby Veer year was the worst Red Sox year I can ever remember. The great collapse of 2011 was also there, but then they rebounded in 2013. They had rebound. They had rebuilding seasons in 2014, 2015, rattled off three straight divisions, including the questionable world series, you know, and the residue of that led to them almost making the world series in 2021. This would be a very different story. No pun intended. If they had gotten those last two wins against Houston and you know, one in 2021, I think they'd be able to that would buy them a little bit of time. I think one of the things that that makes this different is that other than signing Devers, which just became a uh, a survival mode, I don't see a single move that they've made that have that has improved the team, that has improved the team in the long haul. And the fact that the you know, especially after DFAing Jeter Downs. The Mookie Betts trade is officially a whiff. A um, it's a disaster. Um, they've let some of their pitchers, they've signed some of their pitchers to long-term deals that were filled with injuries like Eovaldi and Sale. Now Eovaldi is gone, and I don't see the right people filling in. And I don't trust Bloom and this current iteration of the front office. I don't trust them to rebuild this team. But that being said, Feel free to prove me wrong. I actually don't have an issue if the Red Sox are bad this year. I don't. I don't have an issue if they're bad the next two years. I know that's not that that may not be a popular thing amongst Red Sox fans. I would rather they have a team where they're saying this is this new group of young players that we're developing, and Devers will be the the veteran star. And we have we'll have this anchor in the outfield, this anchor in the infield, this anchor in the rotation, and build around that. And I would rather say, you know, we're aiming for 2025 with that as a goal, rather than this reuniting of the 2018 Dodgers on the team. You know, it's like there are more 2018 Red Sox on the Dodgers, and there are yeah. more 2018 Dodgers on the Red Sox. 
Um, I, I, I don't, I don't have faith in this front office to make these decisions. And they, you know, and they certainly haven't shown it in their trades nor in their signings. Yeah. And 2021 was so crazy because like you said, they were two games away from the world series and they went into that off season and didn't improve the team at all. You felt like they just needed like two or three bullpen guys, maybe one more starter and you could just run back the lineup. You probably didn't even have to touch the lineup. Maybe you wanted nah. a second baseman or a first baseman, but you're like one spot starter, couple relievers, and this team is ready to compete for the World Series in 2022. And they did nothing to address those concerns. Then they entered this offseason. They're like, hey, let's address some of those bullpen concerns, but we're going to let Bogarts walk. We're going to give a nearly $100 million to this Japanese outfielder that we've never seen. Like, I don't understand how they choose to let Mookie Betts, you know, trade him away, let Bogarts walk away in free agency but then you want to sign trevor story to a long-term deal you want to sign chris sale to a mega deal and maybe chris sale was worth a mega deal at the time but we all know pitchers you basically can't give them over a four-year deal because anytime you look at pitchers past a four-year contract like especially when it's those mega deals like they never live up to it always those second half of those deals always turn out bad for those pitchers. And it's even worse than like when you sign a position player to a long-term deal. The shelf life for a high-quality starting pitcher is just a lot shorter than it is for like a Xander Bogart to just sign for a decade-plus with the San Diego Padres. So the fact that you were okay giving that kind of deal to a Chris Sale, knowing all the risks, knowing all the risks of a Trevor Story, and then this Japanese guy, like I hope it works out for him, but he's a big unknown as it currently stands. So you got all those question marks you're handing out money to, but... The, the the Hall of Fame talent that you developed and grew in the Mookie Betts and the Zando Bogarts, you're going to let those guys walk? I think that's the most frustrating part of this whole situation with the Red Sox is the fact that you're signing guys, you're giving some players the, the fat deal who aren't homegrown, who haven't gone through the trials and tribulations with Boston, and then the guys like Mookie Betts and Zando Bogarts who are phenomenal on and off the field, you're going to let go? That is what makes me the most upset thing about this whole Boston Red Sox situation. You see, we're not biased on here. Yeah, that's <laughs> or, fair. Yeah. Or, or, or at least we're objective. We are. We we have a. We can be objective about. I'm this. sweating. I'm getting so heated about this. Nice. Um, another piece of news, by the way. Um, you had uh, uh, Johnny Cueto signed with the Marlins. Mm-hmm. And Rojas was traded to Los Angeles. Rojas, who was originally a Dodger farmhand played in the postseason one year with them and was sent packing in the trade with Miami that wound up bringing a bunch of other players, including Kiki Hernandez, who who now is with the Red Sox. And the Red Sox are hoping that Hernandez could be the starting center fielder and starting second baseman. Um, It's in a weird situation. But uh, Rojas is there to fill in it short. They, They let Seager walk. Trace Turner was there. I don't understand why they let Trey Turner walk, but now... They're going to have Rojas play there. Um, is Rojas a great player? No, he's not. But I think he will do fine. I think he. I think he's. Uh, uh, I think he'll do fine in LA. And I think in some ways they're taking the mentality of make sure there's a major leaguer at that position and let's move on. The reason I find the signing of Cueto interesting, and the sound you'll hear is Peter Pratt of Locked On Marlins screaming at the top of his lungs, is that. This may mean they could trade away oh, yeah. Lopez or someone, and this will allow them to have a little more wiggle room to be able to deal a player. Obviously, they're not going to trade Alcantara, 
or Alcantara. It's Alcantara. I'm sorry. But I don't think they should trade any of their starting pitchers. I think they should try to sign as many free agent hitters as possible, roll the dice and take your chances with a good pitching staff. But if they have to trade a Pablo Lopez uh, in a deal, it's easier to absorb that if you had a major league pitcher, albeit he's no longer the Cy Young contender used to be. He pitched well for Chicago last year. Um, maybe you get a good year out of Johnny Cueto and means your rotation still at least is a strength. And hopefully for them, they'll get a decent hitter in return. Yeah, I don't mind the Marlins wanting to unload some of their starting pitchers because they do have such a gluttony of like dudes under 26, 27. They're like five or six deep in that rotation. So I don't mind them wanting to unload a couple of those pitchers if they're getting back, let's say, an even deal. Like if they made a deal with the D-backs and they traded like a Pablo Lopez or Jesus Lazardo for Dalton Varsho, like I think that would have been a perfect win-win situation. So if the Marlins can go and attack deals like that where you bring back a real major leaguer to help your offense and you're trading away a pitcher or like what the D-backs did a couple years ago with the Marlins when you traded Jazz Chisholm for Zach Gallen, like that's a perfect win-win scenario for both teams. So the Marlins need to find more deals like that because that lineup is disgustingly bad and that rotation, that rotation is legitimately maybe a top five rotation in all yeah. baseball and everyone in that rotation is under 27 years old and they they're willing they're the, basically all the reports are saying the the i believe jesus lazardo you could go get um who else pablo lopez in that rotation edward cabrera like they have like three half their rotation is like available for sale and they could go out there and trade them for position players i wouldn't mind seeing that from the miami marlins because they do have this young rotation it's a gluttony and they need more players in that lineup sully I know, but at the same time, so many teams are building to have a rotation like theirs. And I think it's easier to sign bats than it is to develop pitchers. But what's now, their hesitancy to sign bats, though? It seems like they don't want to sign anyone out there. Cheap. Okay. They're cheap. They're cheap, cheap, cheap. Mm. They're, little, they're baby chickens. They're cheap. I, I think they just should just uh, – they should – now, I understand if they think that maybe there's – you want to maybe deal when their their value is at its highest. Maybe. I, I just think that so many teams are out there trying to build a solid starting rotation. The Marlins have done that. It feels like they've done the hard part. And if they just look at, even at this point, not saying a star, okay? If you put a a, a league average player, you know, a a, a a zero war player, you know, just someone who is just someone who is a decent major leaguer at every position, even if on a short term deal and, and put that team on the field with this pitching staff. I think the team would, you know, be an 82, 83 win team. Yeah. And, and roll the dice to see if maybe they win a couple extra games or a team that is very good down the stretch. Like everyone thought the Giants were going to be a playoff team last year. They weren't. That opened the door for San Diego and for Philadelphia. There are teams like that happen. You, you, you see the advantage of trying to get that low-hanging fruit of the third wildcard spot. You already have developed a really good pitching staff. I, to me, it, I just think there are always hitters available, especially who had been non-tendered. And you can also bust out your analytics department and see what player who had a crap season last year is going to really benefit from the lack of shifts and maybe a couple, you know, maybe get an extra hit there, here or there. Then you score four runs instead of three runs. You win the game four, three instead of losing the game three, two. Uh, I'm, I'm, 
I just, when you've built a pitching staff, then put a team, at least have one year where you take a stab at it. Well, the issue is every time they build up the value of one of their position players and they're like over 20 years old, they're like, hey, why don't we just trade this guy for more prospects down the line? Because that's what they did with Adam Duvall in 2021. 22 home runs at the by the time the All-Star break rolled around, they ended up trading him for what? Probably nothing at the end, right? So there's still free agents out there right now. Like you could go get those low-level free agents like you're talking about. A guy like Trey Mancini is still Yeah, out there I mean, yeah absolutely, yeah. That's, that's easy 20-plus home runs, uh, 750 OPS. Like he's not going to probably put up all-star level numbers for you, but is he going to be maybe your third best player in your lineup with yes. how it currently stands in yes. Miami? Yeah, more than likely. If you just want a power guy at your catcher position that can maybe change the game in one swing, guess what? Gary Sanchez is still out there. He could play a low DH for you. Why not? It's not like you got other guys that could do stuff for you offensively and also think about though you just threw out sanchez and mancini right there those are two players who have something to prove they want mm-hmm. to show that they aren't on the decline so you're gonna have two highly motivated players i, I just it just i i'm i'm a big believer of you have developed a rotation it's why i don't want the guardians to trade away bieber you've yeah, developed no. a rotation just throw the bats in there. Throw in. It doesn't have to. You're, you're, yes, you're not going to get Jose Abreu. You're not going to get Aaron Judge. Mancini and Sanchez right there. The law firm of Mancini and Sanchez is already an improvement. Yeah, like imagine yeah. the Marlins signed like Cody Bellinger this offseason, like what the Cubs did. Like that's a one-year prove it deal, like maybe 17 and a half. It's a little bit expensive, but it's only for one year. One this year, is a guy one year. With still a whole bunch of talent who we've seen hit the highest of highs in baseball. And the fact that like, the rest of your players in your lineup outside of like Jazz Chisholm just don't really have a ceiling. Like someone like that, like you're talking about, just go after the players with something to prove. You don't even have to sign them to multi-year deals, just one or two-year deals or one year with an option for your second year. Like that's all you have to do. We're not asking these teams to break the bank, Sully. We're not saying every team has to spend like the New York Mets, but God damn it, just spend a little money in the offseason and improve your roster when you have such a young ready rotation like the Marlins do because you just mentioned the Cleveland Guardians every decision they make should be through the prism of how do we make our team better around Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie because those are two guys under the and age class of and class and class A too. yeah you're right those are three pitchers who are like Hall of Fame level, all-star level studs at those three positions. So every decision you make should be in the prism of those three guys. The same with the Marlins. Your rotation is stacked. You could trade two, three of these starters and still have one of the best rotations in baseball. Every decision you make should be how do we improve that lineup so we can score enough runs where our our rotation doesn't have to throw a shutout every game. Because basically how it stands, if every Marlins starter doesn't give up one earned run or less, they're probably going to lose a majority of ball games next season. Well, I'm not going to lose any of the podcasts that I bring Miller Thomas on. Hey, Miller, tell people where they can listen to your show. Hey, you can listen to me on all your podcasting platforms. You can follow me on YouTube at Lockdown Dimebacks on there. And then if you want to follow me on social media at Creator Thomas24 for my personal account or look up Lockdown Dimebacks on Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle. All right. And by the way, thanks so much for making Locked On MLB your first listen every day. Your second listen, that would better be Locked On Diamondbacks if you know what's good for you. But then check out Locked On MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia. He's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us at Locked On MLB Pods on Twitter and on Instagram. Follow me at Twitter at Sully Baseball. Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Subscribe to the YouTube channels. We're trying to get 12 billion subscribers.
And if every we're 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 far short of that right now. But if we get to 12 billion, I'll put up a tip jar. And if all of you just drop two bucks in the tip wow. jar, and you know what? I'll split it with Miller. Oh, hey, wow, that's so generous to split 24 billion between the two of us. That's right. And for $24 billion, I too can put a down payment on a studio apartment in San Francisco. And I'm looking forward to that. But hey, showing that we can be objective, even yeah. if we're biased. That's Miller Thomas of Locked On Diamondbacks. I'm your pal, Sully. I'm the host of Locked On MLB. We're a little bit late this week, but we did it anyway. Hey, let's do a fist bump and hey. call it a week.